Welcome everybody to Tree Exact Show. I'm here with Ellie, Brian, and Eric. And our special guest, you know, we went from volcanoes last time. We're going to dinosaurs here. So we have a paleontologist, Dr. Diego Paul. How you doing, man? Hello, how are you? A very awesome. So how this one came to be is I was watching a show on, I want to say the History Channel or Nat Geo. It was called Life on Earth. And you came on and you were discussing uh, the discovery you had about the Titanosaur. And I thought it was really interesting. But before we get into that and paleontology, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into your field. Very good. So I, I was always interested in, in dinosaurs and, and other animals that lived in, in the past. You know, when, when I was a kid, um, so I, I, I used to go to the natural history museums and trying to go out in the field, trying to find fossils or anything related to nature, right? And then uh, when I was in high school, I signed up in a volunteer program mm. in the Natural History Museum in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. And then at that time is when I, I got to know what is to, how is to be a paleontologist? What does a, a paleontologist do every day, right? So by the time I finished high school, I was pretty much sure that I wanted to go this way. So I, I did my major in biology in, in the university and college. And then I went to New York for my PhD. Was was the first time you were in the in New York getting your PhD? You went straight from Argentina to yeah. New York. Yeah, yeah. How was that experience? Was, yeah, no, that was crazy. That was a crazy day. It was actually my first time in New York. My first time in in the U.S. Actually, okay. was the day I started my PhD. Right. So, so I flew from Argentina. I you know landed in JFK. Took the subway and left my luggage in, in in a friend's house and then went straight to a natural history museum in new york to meet my advisor you know and the people that i was going to be working for the next five years you know how bad people like you make me feel because you just said your first time in the states you took the subway and you went to the museum of natural history i live in new jersey i have my whole life i still can't read a subway map I have no idea what I'm doing, so I need to be with someone in order to go to Yankee Stadium. So yeah, it's very confusing. Thank you. But, you know, the fact that you just went zero to 100, it's not like you went straight to like Iowa. You were like, I'm going to New York, so I am knocking out the most vicious state. I mean, that in a nice way first, yeah. so you're prepared for everything. So that's really cool, man. So. I know you mentioned other animals and we've had shark experts on why dinosaurs in particular is there any well, movie you saw a book you picked up at a yard sale i don't know no i i actually you know my first uh my first interest was not in dinosaurs i mean the first animals that you know really got my attention uh were these big mammals like uh, the glyptodon you know the big armadillo or giant sloths that, that live you know during the last ice age, I mean, the, the saber tooth cat, you know, those animals really sparked my interest because, you know, the, the cool thing about these, these big mammals is that they live with humans, right? I mean, they share 
our planet with humans and humans were you know living with them hunting them sometimes so that was my, my actually my first in, interest and then you know when i got into paleontology then I, I started learning more about you know dinosaur research and then i got interested in that um but um you know sometimes in paleontology you end up working with the animals that you actually go and find in the field yeah. right and i was working with uh, professors that uh, were doing field work collecting dinosaurs and that's why i end up you know having the opportunity to do research in on dinosaurs well one more question i promise then i'll pass it uh it mentioned i read about you you're a vertebrae paleontologist what exactly yeah. is that like specifically and how many different types of paleontologists are there sure so the vertebrate paleontology is somebody who works on vertebrate animals right uh from the past like so all the animals that have backbone right so it's like from fishes to amphibians like frogs and toads and mammals and reptiles you know lizards and turtles and, and crocs and then obviously dinosaurs and birds so all those are are vertebrates and then you have the you know the paleobotanist these are the you know people working on fossil plants uh they're super super interesting and super important because plants are you know wonderful to tell us what was the environment in the past and how was the climate in the past so by by studying plants you can actually tell if you know new jersey was uh cold uh, cold in the past or warm or you know was, was there like a rainforest there or not and then you also have the invertebrate paleontologists that these are people that are working on all animals that do not have a backbone right so you know clams and you know uh roaches and insects the, bo the boring animals yeah well some are cool but they, they are certainly smaller yeah, smaller well, the, the ones that we step on and eat you had no desire <laughs> <Yeah>. of studying <laughs> that yeah, is there like a hierarchy as in a who's cooler like oh i, I just found this dinosaur oh we found a plant and you're like <laughs> nerd and you guys you know like <laughs> there friction in that well yeah 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 they they are these are camps you know uh, and people identify and if you if you if you talk with me i'm a you know dinosaur paleontology that will tell you that you know dinosaurs are super interesting and 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 certainly i wouldn't trade you know plants uh working for for in, on plants or anything like that um and if you speak with somebody that works on plants you know probably they will say well you know these dinosaur guys are you know all interested about big animals but they, they're not doing like the tiny details of the important science and so on. so yeah you you will you'll find uh different additives you know who would have thought, that, it, it, thought paleontologists had gangs i mean it's, oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know any any time you you know you get a group of people and then you give them some identity and they and some community they they feel like they're part of something you know and, is, and it's this us versus them I, kind of feeling that is very I, common I, yeah, I, got, I have a question oh, oh, oh go ahead Brad. yeah no no no. mine's a two part it's probably gonna be long you do um your... so like if you so i'm a paleo i'm not a paleontologist no you're then, not you're not 
I know, but I was trying to, I, I was setting it up and I realized I'm not trying to sound cool. Anyway, so if you, if you find one somewhere out in the middle of like Asia or Africa or in my backyard, how do you, how do I locate you? How do we locate each other? And if it's my backyard or it's some village somewhere, do you have to compensate that person to dig and kind of, you know what I mean? Like how does, what's that yeah. side of it? I have to say, yeah, uh, Diego, Eric, great question. Phenomenal question. Absolutely. Super, super interesting. Um, uh, so if you find a fossil and you want to know what it is, you know, I would say the best uh, thing to do is to take it, uh, a photo or the fossil to a nearby museum. You know, usually a local museum will have the people that are more familiar with the kind of fossils that are in the area. And they will, that, that will be the easiest way to, to find out. Now, um, that's about identifying the fossil, but, um, then you mentioned about, you know, you know, what happened to that fossil, who owns the fossil, you know, do they get any compensation or not? And that actually varies, varies a lot depending on the country. Mm. For instance, in the US and in the UK, uh, if you own the land, you own the fossils that are found in the land, right? And, and it's your decision if you want to donate it, if you want to sell it, um or if you want to give it away or or whatever or keep it yourself right uh and a famous example you know uh some the t-rex skeletons that were found mm, a couple decades ago one very complete one was sold by eight million dollars uh it's actually in the, in the film museum in chicago right um Another more recent case, another T-Rex uh, was sold by $31 million. Um, so yeah. <laughs> some fossils can, you know, can be very expensive, uh, depending on, on, you know, if you find somebody that wants to, you know, pay, you know, the, that amount of money. Uh, and our fossils are completely worthless from, the, from a monetary point of view, right? Yeah. Now, in other countries, it's very different, like um, in many places in Southern Europe and in all South America and in many Asian countries, the fossils do not belong to a landowner. They belong to the state, to the government, right? So you actually are not allowed to, you know, get the fossil yourself or you're not allowed to sell the fossil or trade it or anyway. And, and in those countries, you know, what normally people do is they report the findings to a museum and the museum or the university is actually, you know, uh, allowed to go and collect the fossil and take it to a public repository. That sucks. Imagine not getting compensated for that. I mean, at that point, I just wear it around my neck like a necklace. Like a well, I, I was going to say, I didn't realize how much. If I found a raptor fossil in my backyard, I would set it up in my living room and invite everybody I've ever met over. But if it's like $8 million, I might still do that because that's pretty freaking cool. I'll be like, you don't have this. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Well, I mean, there are many private collectors uh, that buy fossils just because they are beautiful, you know, and they're unique. 
uh, they're unique and they're beautiful and they and they want to have them on you know on the living room or 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 in the basement or whatever um that's and that's you know what that this issue has been debated a lot in the scientific community because the downside of people you know having a you know t-rex skeleton in the in the basement is that um many times those fossils are not available for scientists to go and actually do research right. uh, you know and, and learn new things from these unique fossils and that when that happens that's a pity right because uh we are i mean we are missing so much information that could be awesome you know to teach the kids in the, in the schools or to show in the museums and and so you you know we all get to enjoy it and to learn from the from the fossils so you know uh, there are downsides and and, and upsides on, on the two systems right uh, but it actually boils down to to how the law is set in in the country where you are eric you could have a raptor set up in your house and if i have trouble parking i'm still not coming over i just i wouldn't care i'm a busy man that's just that's fine uh, leave your basement yeah, Ellie, go on before we get to Brian's seven-part question. <laughs> right, yeah, his essay question. Okay, so there's not to be morbid, but have you ever stumbled across human remains when you're out in the field? Very and morbid. Then, quite you. And then what do you do? Is it kind of like, oh, this is, you know, Homo erectus, so it's okay, you know, this is hundreds of thousands of years old human remains versus like, oh, this person was probably dead pretty recently, you know, is maybe only like two years out in the elements. So we might have a homicide we just stumbled upon. <laughs> yeah, um, it happened to us once. Uh, it, it was, uh, we are, we were working here in South America. So we don't have here in, in any of the Americas, we don't have like, you know, really, really old, you know, fossil right, right. Yeah, we're more like like, like you will have if you are in Africa, right? And like right. if you're working in Kenya or someplace like that, you may stumble upon a you know a one million year old you know human. <laughs> That's very unique, right? Um, but here in the Americas, you know, uh, humans only arrived about you know I don't know fifteen thousand years ago. Oh, okay. Which you know basically they will be you know the first inhabitants of of our continent um so if you find human remains that might be you know some more recent like native cultures or 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 even more recent um findings so we were in the field in in one place we were looking for dinosaurs um and then we found um in in a, in a place that was very near a cave like a big block of rock that was was you know we think it was part of the the roof of the cave uh and this big block of rock was you know obviously on the ground in the in the in the base level of the cave and underneath that block there were some human bones sticking mm -hmm. out of there so we think you know some very unfortunate person uh was there when when that big block of rock fell oh, from the oh, yeah. roof of the cave down to the ground. Um, That's why you don't go in caves. That's why you don't yeah, go wrong cave, wrong time to be there. Um, his arms crushed, like, did he try to put his hand, like, 
You know what I mean? No, I mean we didn't dig we we didn't dig that uh, because um, because of two reasons. Uh, first, although although it seems similar, uh, digging dinosaurs and digging archaeological remains that means human remains is a very different task, right? So we work in in quite quite a different way, and I'm not. I don't have the skills and the knowledge to do a proper archaeological dig. That's first reason. I may spoil, you know, and ruin unique and very important information that you know that that skeleton can tell. Um, so I do. We didn't do it because of that. And then also, uh, usually, uh, especially if you're dealing with human uh, remains that is usually heavily regulated, right? Mm. Because it boils down to, you know, previous cultures and, and native cultures, and, and there's a whole set of issues that goes into the ethics uh, and, the, and the law that you need to comply. And we didn't have all those permits and regulations. So uh, I think if you find human remains, I mean, in that case, I think it's a very good idea to leave it as it is, and then really find out what you know what what is the the best thing you can do, right? Because it, it may have an impact on some culture that you're not aware of. Right. That's why I couldn't be a paleontologist. I'd be like, "Bring me the brush. I got something," and they'd be like, "Uh, sir, you got a saurus. Got some rib. Leave here, uh, Brian. Go on." Okay, so. We all know that I'm assuming you've seen the movie Jurassic Park. Oh, God. Sure. Yeah. Who hasn't seen it? Who loves dinosaurs? Now, we all know the depiction of all the dinosaurs in that movie is completely incorrect. Uh, they make them murderous monsters. But there is something in the opening scene where they are excavating a raptor skeleton and they use that machine that shoots down into the ground and it sends the, uh, what is it, sound waves and it sends them back. Now, do you guys, I'm, I mean, what year was that? 93, what? 93, 94. 94. Yeah, so three. that was advanced at the time. Now we're in 2022. So what kind of technology do you guys use to determine where to dig? Yeah, uh, good good question. Uh, things, uh, things have uh you know have been um have changed a little bit since the 90s uh but it had i mean everything has changed a lot once you take the fossil out i mean if you are talking about how do you find fossils most of the findings are done in the same way that paleontologists were doing this in the 50s and in the 40s and so on uh People have tried and have experimented with these sonars, uh, you know, that can give you some information on what is underground. But so far, the resolution is not 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 that great. And then it's very easy to to get signals of something that is not actually a bone, you know, mm -hmm. some other. A chunk of rock or something that is more dense than the rest of the the sediment. So we don't use it that much uh, 
in 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 a normal expedition. But however, in 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 the last three four years, mm. there has been a lot a lot of improvement in the in searching for fossils using drones. So a drone, you know, you can program a, a drone to do a survey on a land, you know, and fly at low altitude, you know, filming or taking pictures, uh, and then use some software reconnaissance uh, to pick up, you know, unusual shapes that may be a fossil bone lying on the ground, right? Um, and that is an automated way to do what we normally do, that is working on bones that appear on the surface, mm. you know? We only dig once we find a bone sticking out of the ground. And then we look there for more bones that may be buried. But it's not that, like we go... It's got to be such a, like a, a long, hard process. Because right. like how often are you... I mean, if you go hiking anywhere, how often are you coming across something like that, you know? And, and then even then, when you do find something, like to identify it immediately and say you know, oh, this was a bone, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say it, it really depends on where you are, but in a really nice and super fossiliferous place, uh, maybe you hike for eight hours and maybe you find, I don't know, 10 bones. So let's say one, one fossil per hour. That will be what you find in a very nice place. In So... The thing is, you can do that with a drone, you know, uh, and then use a computer program to search for, for those images. So that will save a lot of time. It's very experimental so far, uh, but, uh, you know, it has the potential to change the way uh, on how, how we look for fossils. But then a lot of things have changed on what you do with the fossil once you take it out mm -hmm. and and you know computer tomography right ct scans are using uh, uh we use them like every day now and and sometimes you take the block of rock that contains the fossil inside and you can put that in a ct scan and then get a very high resolution detailed 3D model of the bones and the skulls or whatever you have inside that block of rock. Um, so that has changed completely in the last 10 years. Um, we use that a lot, but not so much for looking for fossils, but to analyze the fossil once we get, get it out of the ground. Now, once, once you have something out of the ground, let's just say it's like a fragment of something. Let's say you find a fragment of a vertebrae of whatever. How do you go about identifying what that was from? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we use um, what what we do a lot is uh, anatomical studies, right? I mean, um, different animals have different shapes in the vertebrae or in the femur or any other bone of the skeleton. So if you give me a uh, a vertebrae, I will be able to tell you if that is a vertebrae from, you know, uh, an animal that belongs to the cat family or to the, you know, dog, wolf, fox family or a bear or, you know, or an hippo or any other animal, right? Each family 
has a unique set of features in pretty much every bone of the skeleton. So if you find an isolated femur uh, handling bone, then you can identify by comparing the shape of the different uh, processes of the, of the bone, if that bone belongs to, you know, a cat or a dog or, you know, a, a rhino or an elephant or so on. Um, so we use that. We use comparative anatomy, comparing the shape of the, the each, you know, bulge and process that bone has um, will give you a hint uh, about what kind of animal was that. Now, how much room for error is in that? Because it's like, there's got to be like some things that are so close where you're looking at it, you're like, ah, it could be this. I feel like it's this, but. Yeah, the, the, there is, there's, the finer you go, the, the greater the room for errors, right? I can, I can tell you, let's say you get a, like a tooth, right? You get a, you find a molar, right? Uh, I can tell you, you know, with a hundred percent confidence that it belongs to some animal of the cat family, right? The fel the felines. Uh, now, I may have, you know, more error chance. If if you if you ask me, if this belongs to a tiger or to a lion, right? So, I <laughs> there you may have a seventy percent, you know, accuracy. Right. So the finer you go, um, the more tricky it gets. Yeah. So it's like after you identify the kind of family that it belongs to, then it's like, let's just kind of we'll do comparisons and make our best guess here. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, you know, there's still, you know, debate on the identity of some fossils. For instance, I don't know if you have seen, but in the in the last few weeks, there was some uh, articles in the in the newspaper. Yeah, it actually came out in the New York Times uh, that if all the specimens that we know of T. Rex, Tyrannosaurus Rex, belong to a single species, or if they belong to actually three different species, mm -hmm. right? So we have we have many skeletons of animals that we call T. Rex mm -hmm. that are very similar to each other. I mean, we we have no no doubt. But there's some debate if they actually represent members of a single species or members of three very similar species. You know, like if you have like, like you know, I know uh, a lion, a tiger, and a you know leopard, right? They're very similar to each other when you look at the bones. Uh, but in in the case of dinosaurs, sometimes we face these discussions uh and so far there's not like a uniform way to tell with a hundred percent certainty uh if one option or the other is the correct mm -hmm. now where where are you this is my last question promise where are you on the scales versus the feathers what did they have oh no i think we we know uh, for sure that many 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 dinosaurs have feathers yeah. you know especially all the animals that were related to uh to carnivore carnivorous dinosaurs uh most likely they were all feathered 
except for a huge, the really big carnivores like T-Rex, probably at least in the adult did not have feathers. Um, and then we also know that the gigantic dinosaurs that we call sauropods, these are the long neck, you know, four legs, long tail, these animals, the herbivores, we have skin, skin impressions of them and they have scales, right? So, uh, and they, they probably were way too big for having feathers. Um, you know, we, we now, today we, we link feathers with flight right? Because, right. you know, birds have feathers and they, they have aerodynamic capabilities and they can fly because they have feathers. But back in the dinosaur times, feathers played a different role. They didn't have, when they appeared, when the, when the first feathered animals evolved on our planet, they didn't use the feathers for flying. They used the feathers for either isolate isolation so so insulation from the to keep them themselves warm or for display that is something that you know birds actually do think about the peacock right i mean having this shiny you know very very nice and colorful feathers that are very good to give a message you know here i am this is my territory you know, I'm a you know the, uh, very beautiful individual and you want to mate with me you know yeah. i mean that kind of things uh, probably were much more important than than flying back in the days of the dinosaurs do you know the uh the cassowary yeah that's that i feel like that is a dinosaur in itself yeah yeah certainly certainly i mean if you go i mean what we think now is if if you if you have a time machine you know and you go back a hundred million years ago, you will have a hard time telling apart what is a dinosaur and what is a primitive bird, mm. right? Because you have all these things that in, are in between. We know birds evolved from dinosaurs. Mm. And the finer you go and, and the closer you get to that transition from dinosaur to birds, the blurry, the, the, the limits uh, become, right? And, and they're, they're very difficult to tell about. There are many animals that we don't know if they're birds or dinosaurs. I mean, you look at some features and they, they're more similar to birds and other features more similar to dinosaurs, and they're there. They are like dino birds, you know, are, there's something in between. In any, sorry, in any major change, evolutionary change, you see that. Like, when does, you know, uh, a hominin becomes a human, right? What is the boundary between an animal that we can call it a human and an animal that we call, you know, a non-human primate, right? What, what is the line? Where do you put the line? You know, it's a Neanderthal, was before, right? It's, it's evolution is, is a continuum process. Yeah. And and when when we put categories, we're trying to fit, you know, discrete things, little boxes that we use to organize and separate uh, for something that is not actually a discrete and separate thing. It's mm -hmm. a continuum, right? Uh, and so so sometimes the boundaries feel a little artificial, right? 
Now, uh, Diego, before we get into your uh, exploration of the Titanosaur, I just want you to know I can do a pretty good raptor impression. Would you like to hear it? You can't. Don't do I it. Sure. What does it do? Not bad, right? That's pretty good. Thank That's you. pretty good. Good. I, I have one that question. Hurt my, that hurt my rib. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, no. I have one question before you go in the next in the next one. So you we as paleontology goes, you established how there's plant gangs and then land gangs, right? Yeah. So how does it work with uh sea fossils? Are they just like we're screwed? I can't like what do what do they do? How do you find you know what I mean? Because you would think. You know, like if there is a comet or uh, an asteroid that came down and destroyed the dinosaurs, of course, the ocean would be affected. But you would think there's there's some type of crazy dinosaur down there. And do you yeah. think that? And what do they do to find it? Yeah, well, the, the you know, the, the good thing for, you know, people working on marine fossils is that the sea level, right, has not been the same in the past mm -hmm. um so you probably heard that you know one of the possible you know effects of you know the global warming is that the ice caps in the in the poles will melt down and then the sea level will rise right and then you know i don't know florida will be you know all flood and so on um well that actually happened in the past many many times Let's say during the dinosaur times, there was no ice on Antarctica, no ice on the, the North Pole, right? So the sea level was way higher than, than it is now. So much of what you, you find, you know, in, in the coastal region, all, all, all around the, the world uh, was actually covered uh, with sea water, right? So what what is in, in new jersey you know there are plenty of marine uh fishes and reptiles and so on that are found on land now because that place was the bottom of the sea you know 100 million years ago so there are many 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 places where you find marine fossils but are now uh you know completely above sea level because now we have a lot of ice on our planet and sea level is kind of low if you compare it with the sea level of the time of dinosaurs um but obviously the the you know down in the, the in the bottom of the atlantic oceans there will be wonderful fossils uh, being preserved there that we probably will never have a chance to to actually find you know um unless we use some super cool and expensive, you know, robots to go down into the into a deep ocean to to look for them, right? Yeah, like James um, Cameron, he found Titanic. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, there there are many people working on 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 micro fossil. These are mm -hmm. microscopic fossils uh, that are found on the drills, you know, the boreholes that you know. Uh, many companies do in the in the bottom of the ocean right let's say when when they are looking for you know uh oil right on the on the ocean uh you know when they set up a platform in the middle of the ocean to get you know uh oil out of there well that's because before they went with these you know 
uh, big ships and and they drill a hole in the bottom of the of the ocean floor and then they found that there was potential for oil and then when they drill that they take the cores out and in 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 that core of sediments you you may find you know tiny fossils hmm. and re- real quick do you think if a sea animal fossil was found or a land animal fossil was found given the environment of the two which do you think would be best preserved uh well uh it 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 depends a, a little bit uh on the conditions where uh where what land environment and what marine environment um let's say in there's some uh some places on land that have very low sedimentation rate that means very little sediment gets accumulated right like an example of that is a desert right Right. you only have sediment because the wind blows sand and so on so in that place if an animal dies it will take a lot of time to cover that carcass right and meanwhile the skeleton starts you know weathering out right so by the time you actually bury that animal with sand uh half of the skeleton is actually destroyed right um if on the other hand if falls the the skeleton falls in a river where a lot of you know mud gets accumulated uh then you can bury the, the skeleton very quickly and that will be a very nice fossil uh, and the same happens in the ocean depending where you are if there are a lot of currents or if it is a calm part of the ocean that will affect the quality of the preservation of the fossil i'll tell you man i learned more doing these shows than i did in school so i really enjoy it but let's get to the hollywood aspect here i want you to paint a picture diego so like i read that you actually found a bone of the titanosaur when you were excavating is that the word yeah yeah no it's pretty good it was on my calendar today so like i i nailed it all right so excavating when you were doing it so like paint a picture of what that was like Uh, you know the start of the morning your coffee you had and then you went outside and you just started doing what you do and then you found it and like the reaction did you know it was what it was at the time yeah you know every 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 morning in the field starts kind of the same way uh it really feels like you know if you like to go camping you you know what i mean like you go out of the tent it's kind of you know kind of chilly uh, and you get together with you, your colleagues friends there in the near the campfire somebody's making coffee uh some people are bringing i don't know the milk the cereals or cookies or whatever people eat in the morning um and then you have a chat in the morning talking about you know a little bit about plans and what we are going to do in during the day but then also about you know some funny thing that happened you know last the previous night or or about you know anything that, that you will you talk about when you get together with your friends in the in the campfire right um and that goes for like an hour or so and then usually about 8 30 in the morning uh we go out in the field right and every time you go out in the field 
you are doing one of two things. One is go and look for new fossils, right? I mean, and that's pretty much like hiking, walking around, and then looking at the ground, looking for small pieces of bones that are sticking out of the ground, right? Um, when you're doing that and you spot something, you know, the first thing you do is always, you know, you wonder yourself, is that a fossil or a rock? Because there are some rocks that kind of look like a fossil, you know, they're white, they had, you know, similar, you know, color or shape. So the first thing, first thing you do, you spot it is maybe, maybe like 10 feet away or so, you look for something that is looks different from the, the rest of the, the ground, right? You get closer and the closer you get, the more excited you get if if that is a fossil, right? And uh, you actually get to the place and then you kneel down and then by that time you already know right. if if it is a fossil or not. Um, and most most of the time, uh, the excitement comes when you actually start digging, right? Because you're looking for something that is sticking out of the ground, and the best the best finding is when you find only the tip of the skeleton sticking out of the ground and then the rest will be buried there and then you start digging there with your brush and your toothpick and then you know little small tools and sometimes a swiss army knife is pretty good and you start you know scraping away the the sand and the rocks that are covering the fossil uh, and that's when the magic happens because you are bringing back to the surface something that has been hidden buried for a hundred million years yeah right that is super exciting moment because anything can happen it may be a very insignificant piece of bone that you know you wouldn't bother to collect sometimes happens or will be a complete bone of you know a cool new dinosaur or sometimes if you are very lucky it will be a complete skeleton lying there. Or what happened with the titanosaur was that we found six skeletons of the largest animal we know on Earth, right? right. Uh, and all that, uh, obviously digging all that took 18 months working in the field, right? Um, but I mean, I love that first moment uh, in the discovery when you find something and you say you know this could be really good and then you start going into uh into the sediment trying to uncover something that has been hidden there for a hundred million years and you are on your knees and you're the first you know human the first organism that is in that very same place where that animal died hundred million years and nobody knows about it it's you know it's super exciting that moment is super super exciting so you said 18 months when you started brushing and digging when did you know it was like all right this is something different uh well we 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 knew it was something big uh right from the beginning uh we knew it was something different probably very different from everything we knew and that probably was the biggest known dinosaur about four days after starting working uh there 
that that time that 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 was the time necessary necessary to uncover a single bone, right? And then we found 150 bones uh, there uh, during 18 months of of field work there. Now, how much wow. does that entire excavation cost? Like the funding? How much did? The, if you don't mind me asking. Like an 18 month excavation, like when you phone in, all right, we got something here. How much budget do you get for that? Is it like a Hollywood film? No, 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 no. Uh, we, the excavations are not that expensive. You know, uh, it's, it, it really varies on the size of the fossils, how many people you go for how long, but I'll, you know, give you a range. If you go out in the field for like a month, uh, depending on how many people and where you are and the logistics and so on, it may cost you between, I don't know, $5,000 or $100,000, depending on, on, on the logistics, right? Where you are, uh, if you have to you know, fly over to Africa and, and drive for 10 days to get to a place, or if you're going to your backyard, right? The, the cost is very different, right? Um, so you can, that is kind of the range of the, the cost of an expedition. Last question uh, about the Titanosaur and then they could ask anything about the big, the big dinosaur. Um, you don't have to say a number and you could just not answer, but we mentioned money <laughs> before. Did you and your team do all right when you found it? Like, did you get, did you do all right? No, no, not really. I mean, in, in oh. the sense that it doesn't, um, we are in a, in a country in Argentina where, you know, uh, the, the fossils are not, um, where it's forbidden to sail. Uh, you yeah. cannot sail the, uh, the fossils. Um, they belong to the state. It, I mean, we, it was a great project because uh, it helped us, you know, gain a lot of visibility right. and, and then, after gaining visibility and 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 so on then there was some you know it's easier to build new projects and attract new funding you know yeah. i mean yeah. if i if i if i now apply for uh, you know for a grant or for i'm looking for money or funding or a donor to go and dig a new dinosaur the fact that we were able to do that it's you know it's very beneficial for us because we did something big before so it's it's easier to get investing uh investors in in our projects now you said that the t-rex sold for 31 million can you give a range in the u.s what the titanosaur would have maybe went for i was gonna say next time you just keep it quiet and then <laughs> somewhere else and be like, hey, look can, what we found. <laughs> can, can you give a range what you think it might have went for? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I it's very hard. Very hard to tell. Um yeah, it goes like because, I don't even want to think about it. Like don't even because you know, you know, it's it's with fossils are you know a very unique um uh, it's very hard to think about the market price uh, because in a way it's very similar to what you will say for an art piece, right? Like, you know, a Van Gogh, how much will the Van Gogh will, will, you know, will cost? Well, 
it actually depends on how much money people want to pay this you know if you put it on an auction um and and these are not you know very common things so it's very hard to put a, a price tag for me that's fair. I mean, oh that's fair um but i will i will think you know that will be more than a t-rex because we know i don't know 15 16 skeletons already of a t-rex let's say it's not that unique today already um but the biggest land animal that we know of and um, there is a single one so probably will will sell for more um right but yeah i mean i it's very hard to to go so, beyond that that's being cool you found it though that's like a life's work like take coming into its own but uh it will wrap it up here bry elliot i just, yeah, I just thought of this real quick only one. because you said that uh there's only been like roughly 15 uh t-rex skeletons discovered how do we how do you guys estimate like the population size of the dinosaurs you know because if we're, if we're only finding like like you said 15 who's to say that there were there weren't three million you know and it's like we or, just or wow. 16. that could have been it yeah yeah I, exactly it's uh, that, that is a big question we we don't have an answer uh a very precise answer and but but some people are working on that uh and there are some actually recent studies that are trying to estimate that uh and the kind of data that you need to to infer uh that the population density is studying you know you know actual recent uh ecosystems and there is a there is a concept in 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 ecology that is called carrying capacity you know how how many herbivores a given forest can actually sustain and support you know you get this amount of plants uh and every you know every herbivorous animal eat on average i don't know 50 pounds of plant matter per day so how many herbivores can this forest support and sustain uh in a sustainable way right uh so if you if you can predict or or estimate the the actual plant productivity in a given environment um and then if you can infer how much plant a herbivore dinosaur will need then you can infer how many herbivores and then how many carnivores so there are some layers of inference and and every layer brings some uncertainty uh but that's the kind of model that you may you may elaborate to answer that question because it really i mean you can't really use the number of fossils we find because fossilization is a very very rare process right so some people say one out of a million of the animals that are living now will become fossils one day and then on top of that you have to find them right so you know probably none of us will actually become fossilized you know and in a, even if somebody some of us become a fossil then somebody in the future will have to walk by and dig where you actually die 
to actually find that fossil, right? Uh, so the, we really cannot count the number of uh, specimens and, and then predict something about population density from there. Uh, we have to model thinking about the ecosystems and, and how the ecosystems were working back in the dinosaur days. Yeah, it's kind of like educated guesses based on that information. Like you said, like, let's say if one herbivore needs 10 plants and there's 50 plants in this forest, then how quickly do they regenerate? How long does that take? How long can this? Yeah, so the, it makes sense. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah. Eric, did you have anything? Yeah, my last question. You don't have to give names, but I understand they use very delicate brushes when you're uncovering these things. Have you ever seen someone make a horrible mistake and break a bone or use a wrong tool and they just yeah they turned into that fossil he found under the rock yeah oh. <laughs> yeah i mean uh yeah it happens it really happens to everybody sooner or la later you ruin a fossil you know uh it is fossils and that's because fossils are very very fragile yeah you know we think of fossils of these you know fossilized you know bones that turn into a stone right and you we think of a stone as something or a rock as something very solid and so on and nothing like that right usually a fossil bone uh it's already broken when you find it it's already broke broken and cracked in like a thousand pieces right and many of those cracks are filled in with you know some salts or some crystals that are actually holding together these these thousand pieces right now when you uncover the fossil you bring it back to you know the out in the open air and uh, some of those minerals and salt may get unstable uh and those cracks may work a little bit and if you're not very careful and if you don't put enough glue and consolidants right at the time that you find it those cracks will work and will expand and then that bone that was beautiful will crumble down mm. into pieces right and is that like a fireable offense no no i mean obviously you know the, the less you know and the less experience you have, uh, the more likely is that thing going to happen, right? So uh, when, when you see, when you bring a, a new student or a volunteer to the field, uh, you can tell that people, uh, some people have are more aware of what they know and what they don't know than others, right? And some people ask more, whereas other people just go on to whatever they think um so you know we we try to uh follow and mentor every every person that comes but sooner or later you know something will happen and 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 somebody will break uh something and it, it's we try to minimize that but it's impossible to completely eliminate that factor listen everyone makes mistakes diego i could relate the other day i was cleaning dishes and i accidentally broke a glass and my wife was like what are you doing so i understand completely what it's like to ruin a fossil 
Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like you use a brush to clean your dishes. <laughs> yeah. no, Diego, seriously though, like I didn't think we'd go this in depth about dinosaurs. Um, we do have to have you on again if you don't mind to have way yeah. more questions here because like this is exceeded longer than I thought it would with questions, and I have a lot more. I just don't want to take up your time. I would like to do an entire episode on the titanosaur if you don't mind. We'll stay in contact. Um, sure. Really quick though. Now, one of the friends of the show is Paul Clerkin from Alien Sharks, right? He goes into the depths of hell and then tries to find sharks and he gets to name them when he finds them. He has to run them through a board. I'm trying to get one named True Exact. It's not working. He hasn't been he hasn't been responding to my text recently because of that. So I am wondering, do you get to name the ones you find? And then we'll let you go, man. But just answer that last question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we I mean, we have named in the last 15 years over 20 new dinosaur species uh every time you find a fossil of a species that is unknown then you get to name it right um usually we name it after somebody or some place uh that has any some some relationship with the fossil right um we have named fossils after you know, families that live out in the in the in the field near the places where we work, uh, families that have sheltered us in you know in in their in their farms in their yards. That's nice. um, I know all, also to uh, people that were important for for the development of the of the research, uh, people that gave funding. Uh, I don't know the name really varies uh uh but i'm just throwing it out there the diego asaurus sounds pretty fucking cool uh, <laughs> yeah it sounds pretty cool I yeah it was cool I, it's not but it's not very cool to name a, a <laughs> dinosaur after yourself who you cares a uh, hundred <laughs> years from now it'll be known as that oh, oh you be, you better you better believe if i find a dinosaur in my backyard i'll sell you ericosaurus for 15 mil and i'll be like that's it yeah. all right diego man thank you very much for coming on it was really cool um would you be willing to come on again uh in the future man? Sure. awesome sure sure fun fun Where are you want shoot me an email and, and we'll do something Really quick though, I'm gonna give the best question of the night. It's a new award I'm giving out to Brian with this technology question. Good job, Brian. So I'll, I'll give him that. Rigged. It's Very rigged. Good. It's rigged. Diego, thanks a lot, buddy. We'll let you go. Okay. See you. Thanks.